0: And I want to read the first few chapters. Not the first few chapters. First parts of chapter 1. Some parts of chapter 1 and chapter 2. Philippians chapter 1 starting in verse 19. A few words before it. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ Jesus, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed at all, but that I will have full courage. Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is so much better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and for your joy in the faith, so that in me, you may have an ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner be worthy manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything. By your opponents, This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to the interest of himself, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess... That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Therefore, beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for His good pleasure. Let's pray. Father, we are glad to hear this word this morning. And above all things, we are glad that your word is sufficient. That it is enough for what we need today. And it is enough to instruct us about what we will need tomorrow. And it is enough when we are disciplined to hear you speak through it. To find joy in the midst of great despair. Lord, how we talk so much about that which we desire. How we seek out simple answers and temporal remedies. Finding satisfaction and hope in our bank accounts or our relationships or our health or our mental state or substances or friendships or things or personal ideas or esteem or social media. And Lord, it's all for nothing. For Christ is our everything. And so as we come today, Lord, we thank you for the promise of teaching your people. So teach us and grow us. To become a people for yourself, for your name, and for your glory. By the power of your grace in Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. There's a lot that I need to say that I will not have time to say. This message this morning is still part of us going through the idea of what the church is. The beautiful church. And what I'm going to preach this morning will be the outline for what we discuss as we eat in our members meeting. But I want you to imagine for a moment, we have been a constituted assembly, a gathering for 11 years, for 11 years, and in that 11 years, there have been several epochs, and I measure those by the conflict and the strife and the disaster. Isn't that funny? I was talking with someone about that last week that I think about what well, this happened and then this happened and then this. And historians do that too. This is when that war happened. This is when that natural disaster happened. It's what we do. We focus our attention not on the small successes or large things. We focus our attention on one of two things typically as people. Well, there are exceptions, but this is a, generaliza- a generalization on my part. We focus on the extremely negative things that affect us because they do change us. Or we focus on the things that get a lot of public opinion praise. But why not focus on the thing that is unmovable? The promises of Christ. Why not focus on the thing that literally cannot change? It is impossible for God to change. It is impossible for His Word to change. But we are the ones changing. Now see, there is a false gospel that has been in our culture as long as I've been alive. I've heard it often. And that false gospel goes a little something like this many iterations. It is that you know that you are a true believer and have been born of God because of the way you grow and mature in the faith and in your sinlessness. That's a false gospel. The Bible says that you know you are in the faith because God has promised that His Son's death has satisfied His wrath for you and He has gifted you the inner disposition to believe and rest, trust in that promise. And we are going to have a little sub-series sometime in November on faith. We're going to spend a lot of time. We're going to have to keep it to a few weeks or so because it could just go on through the next year. But false gospels after false gospels have always put the eye on the navel gazing of the human being to look inside to decide if they're truly saved by measuring themselves through some standard that's not found in the Holy Writ. The standard of righteousness in the Holy Bible is God Himself alone and only. And the only established God... Uh, uh, God, God established righteousness that existed in human flesh ever to walk the earth is Jesus, the God-man himself. And as Brother Trey said last week, the only works that are necessary for our salvation are the works of righteousness whose are Jesus Christ. And I might not have gotten my possessiveness correct and all that, but you know what I'm saying. And the church has been bought by the blood of Jesus, and then commanded by divine authority through Jesus Himself, through the writings of the apostles, to gather together and be submissive to the writings of Scripture, not the cultural inundations and obligations and overbearing garbage that always comes while saying, "Well, if you're really a Christian, you'll do this. If you're really a Christian, you'll vote this way. If you're really a Christian, who ya he ye? Who cares?" If God's word does not give it to me in instruction, plain and simple, it is not for us to infer and then impose upon as a burden on another person. If God's spirit has imposed it upon us, then that is our personal conviction. We do well to keep our mouths shut about it. You see what I'm saying? Life as the church of Jesus Christ is not about imposing restrictions. It's about living in freedom. And your freedoms may look different than mine. And some of your freedoms may be sinful, and some of my burdens may be sinful. And by the mercy of our Father, and through the teaching of His Word, and through the simplistic oversight of the elders with patience and kindness, without being a burden, we will grow to understand these things, not to our despair, but to our joy, (laughs) as He has seen fit to show us. All that being said, 11 years. Some of you have been with us from the beginning. Some of you have been with us halfway through. Some of you have just come to be a part of our family. And beloved, I'm just going to be very candid today about some things. I have suffered more in my mind and my heart in the last two, three years than I've ever suffered in my life. I have tried to give up the ministry. I have tried to give up the pastorate. I have tried to leave and do other things. I have tried to make it a side job. I have tried to do everything that I could. And every time that I do, God shuts a door, breaks my foot, tears up my stomach, bowls down my eyes, breaks my hand, rips out my shoulder, ruins my elbow, or does something to prevent me from doing anything but sitting on my butt and praying and studying the Bible in misery. You see, you cannot escape the call of Christ. And the cool thing is, we really don't want to. Our flesh thinks, you know what would be great? We could do it this way. That's why there's so many iterations of church all over the world. So many different gospels and different Jesuses and all that. And who cares about that stuff? That's God's sovereign purpose. He created that chaos for His glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father, for the seriousness And the awesomeness of evil. Have you ever prayed that? No, I haven't either. But I can thank Him in the midst of it. You see. He has a purpose in it. So some of us, if what we are learning... Anybody who thought I'm an expert on church... Really ought to pay attention. Anybody that thinks I'm an expert in Scripture ought to pay attention... Who is the expert of Scripture? The Scripture. Who is the expert of church? The Scripture. The one to whom it points, Jesus Christ. And he's instructed It's very easy. But we are very creative, very intelligent, very smart. We, we love to do and think what would assimilate and acclimate and, and appropriate and all the other A's and A's that we can come up with to get people active in the church. Well, you're not active in the church if you're not understanding the church. But imagine for a moment, anything. I want to focus completely. I read a lot of Philippians for context. But Paul says, so if there be any encouragement in Christ. Chapter 2. If any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He gives instruction on that practically very next breath. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Look after the interests of others as you also would look after your own. And then he talks about Jesus. See, this is just not some arbitrary, uh, you know, weird, odd epiphany. This is not some new world view that the apostles are trying to establish some some strange, I don't know, uh, nirvana. Some strange utopia. Some strange ethereal expression of happiness and joy. This is a display of Christ himself. So to display Christ in the world is not about modern day, phineistic, grahamistic, demonistic, evangelism, and I don't mean to be so ugly about that stuff, but I just got to keep the labels what they are before the haters come and cut my head off. And I don't want you to confuse a reference as an endorsement, okay? Evangelism is not banging on doors, telling people to turn or burn. There's no gospel there. That is not there. Evangelism is not going and saying, "Yo, obey the Ten Commandments. Of course we don't. Well, you're going to go to hell. You're a self proclaimed. That's a false gospel. Evangelism has been taught incorrectly, culturally, my entire lifetime. And I've been asked a thousand times, if once, well, what is good evangelism? And I'm still working on that answer as I continue to teach the church and to prepare you to do the works of the ministry, which includes doing the work of an evangelist, which is something I have been guilty of not doing the last two years. Do I share the gospel? all the time. Do I talk the gospel? Yes, but what is that work? We'll talk about that in our members meeting. So here we are, Jesus Christ displayed in the life of his people, in the gospel proclamation of his good report, what he has accomplished and who he has purchased. And now we get together in order to be Learn and to do the things that God has called us to do. And Paul is saying that it all boils down to one simple thing that we have love for one another, just as we read out of John 13 this morning, pre service. If you are a follower of Christ, they will know that they who? The world and the lost people and the self righteous people and the religious people will know that you are following me when you love other people. Following Christ and being born again is not the same thing, one is a state before God. One is a justified state before God where there is no condemnation and another is a disciplined opportunity for us to obey and live according to Christ in the world. Love. Love is not a feeling. Love is not a method. Love is not something that we are able to muster out in our emotions. Love is not an emotion at all. The emotions that are usually misapplied as love are infatuation, obsession, lust, eroticism, whatever it may be, these are other emotions that are physiological almost. Definitely psychological. Love is where we do with our hands and feet, with the intention of our heart, for the sake of the joy of our brothers and sisters, and even, God bless them, our enemies. you got to say God bless them in the South. So imagine... Any ministry, any encouragement, any blessing, any prayer, anything that has been given to you or provided for you in the context of the ministry of this family, from this pulpit, from anybody else amongst us at any particular time in your life, imagine what life would be like or would have been like if we were not a people. What do I mean? What if Grace Truth Church never came to be? What would be different? For you, what would change? What would you miss? What relationships would you have never had? What times or investments have been made in your life for the sake of Christ? As a part of this church family. Through the teaching, through the prayers, through the encouragement, through the training, the suffering, the counseling, the meeting of needs, ministry, the maturity, the reminders, the stirring from others. All can be summarized in one nice, big, fat word, love. That's what love is. That's what love looks like. Jesus Christ, who, though He was God, did not take that equality with God, something to grasp, something to display. He did not come here and say, look at me, the God-man. He came here and said, look at me, the Son of Man, the Son of God, doing the work of my Father. there's any encouragement in Christ. I guess we have to ask ourselves, church, is there encouragement in Christ through your life in the church? Is the church a tether to the growth of your faith? Is it a tether to the joy of your soul? Is the church a tether to the gospel for you? And if it is, Is there any encouragement in Christ? Is there any comfort in love? Do you find comfort in the context of the church? See, it's very easy when we're stressed out and focused inwardly and focused on the issues that we have at hand, whether it, no matter what it be, I don't have to keep giving examples about issues. We all have issues and we can all define them. Save the breath. We focus on those things and all of a sudden we we get so enamored by everything that's going on that we lose sight of why we're we're here to begin with.
1: And one of the ways we
0: escape that is that it's real easy to say, okay, guys, we need to serve our community. That's a command of the Lord for the body of Christ, to serve your neighbor, to serve your community, to do things, as me and another pastor locally had a good conversation last Tuesday, without the t-shirt on. Not shirtless, but you know, without the church t-shirt on. This ministry provided by grace Fruit. I mean, you know, we don't, have to, we don't have to do that. Put our banners out front when we're handing out water. Look at us. There our QR codes so the semi-trucks can run over our children as they're trying to get it. Yeah. It's easy. It's easy for me to say, okay, next week we're going to hand out water downtown. We're going to hand out tracks downtown. Is there anything wrong with either of those? No. But it's easy for me To make that the emphasis of my role and call, and then it makes you feel comfortable in evangelical life. When I get through exposing some of my thoughts on evangelical life, you might not like me anymore, but it's forthcoming. And in the end, we're all busy doing similar, I mean simple little tasks that have no eternal value. In the name of living for Christ while we're ignoring each other and while we are ignoring the very root of the reason that we are called the body. It's easy. It's also easy to become so myopic, so inward driven, so focused on doctrine and theology and all this kind of stuff that we push out two-thirds of the sheep among us because God hasn't called them to that hobby. And it is a hobby. Hobby. And they... You can get it at Hobby Lobby, too. There's more theology at Hobby Lobby than there is in most churches. It's easy. We can just be distracted. We can be distracted. It's like my mind is distracted today because I say these things, and then the rewind in my head goes, wait a minute. That's irritating. Let's pound that for a minute. No, got to stay over here, James. And then the third voice, what are you talking about? And I see it on some of your faces. We're able to not feel the pain, not feel the burn, to feel sufficiently purposeful when we're busy with busyness. Is life not busy enough? Is it not busy enough to rake up pine cones, change oil, change diapers, wash clothes, pay the bills? Pay the bills. Pay the bills. (laughs) Is it not busy enough? It's busy enough. So Paul is saying if there's anything, if you have encouragement, if you have comfort in love, if you have participation in the Spirit, what is that? It's the power of God working in us, molding us, growing us, teaching us, delivering us, giving us joy, helping us to encourage one another, causing you to think about me and pray for me and me to think about you and pray for you and each other. At a moment's notice, we're watching television and there's nothing spiritual about anything we're doing and then we think, I wonder how, I wonder how Bob's doing. Lord, whatever he's going through. Just, Father, I just came to mind. Let me text him. Oops, I didn't know it was 1 a.m. Sorry, Bob. Go back to sleep. <laughs> we live in a perpetual casino in our day, don't we? We don't know what time it is. We don't know if the sun's up. We're just all sitting there looking at something. Playing spades or watching Netflix. Participation in the Spirit. We're born again. We know the truth. We're learning. We're growing. But it is God the Spirit. It is God Himself who works in us and wills in us for His good pleasure. Philippians 2, what? 13. And so we are obligated. We are... Encourage. We are comforted. We have the Spirit of God working. Have you, have you had any affection or any sympathy? If so, Paul is saying, complete my joy. Paul is focused. He's being selfish for a minute. It's not real selfishness. But it's definitely personal. Complete my joy. Why? Look at this. This is important, beloved. Paul wants to be joyful. And his joy is tethered To the body of Christ being joyful. And the body of Christ's joy is tethered to them being encouraged and comforted and participating in the Spirit and growing in affection and sympathy for one another and receiving that ministry while giving that ministry. This is Paul's joy. So, complete my joy by having the same mind. What is the mind? He explains it. We don't have to ask. What does he mean? The mind which is yours in Christ Jesus. Though he was equal with God, he did not take equality with God. Something to be grasped and made himself nothing, a slave, obedient to death, even on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him, highly exalted him raised him up, showed him for who he was, gave the glory that it belongs to him, exposed it to the world. The body of Christ can see it face to face by the Spirit of God, by his grace. This is the working of God the Spirit alone. It is not anything that we do to meet God in any way, any place, at any time with us or anything that we have. It is all of God, which is, as we say historically, it is all of grace. The work of the knowledge of salvation, faith, rests In the work of salvation that has been completed. And now that it has been completed we have the mind which is like Christ. So we demonstrate Christ when we are together. We demonstrate Christ in our proclamation of truth. We demonstrate Christ in our patience with one another. We demonstrate Christ in our giving of our lives to one another. There is no greater love than this that a man would lay down his life for his brother. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. You mean whipping them with a scourge? No, not cleansing the temple as Christ loved the church by giving His life, offering Himself to present her blameless, holy, without spot or wrinkle before Him. How? How? Sinful, sinful, sinful people deserving of all wrath and true righteousness and justice. Jesus Christ's perfect righteousness not only as God but in His humanity also and proved it through His obedience and submission to the Father, fulfilling all the requirements of righteousness therein. Then He gives Himself unto the government, unto the will of the people who hated Him and who hated the God that sent Him. Who thought they were doing the very will of the evangelical God that they thought they served. And they put him to death by the will of God the Father. That he might be the one who satisfies the wrath of justice in the eyes of God forevermore in his blood. And how in the world was that satisfactory because he was holy God in the flesh. Proven so through his resurrection from the dead. And beloved, this is the good report. So we look after other people. You think Jesus was looking after his own interests? Well, theologically, technically, yes. For his glory was at stake. Listen, folks. We're talking about the practical reality of Jesus walking this earth for 34 years. And not once walking around showing off as God. Yet the world at large was waiting for John the Baptist to become something special. And he showed up looking like the homeless man on crack. And I don't even know if I should make jokes like that because I've had to minister to people who were homeless on crack. We've had to take their children into our house for ten months. It seems funny, but it's not as real. And that's how John the Baptist came across. People were looking to him to be something. He was nothing. He was a whack. And all he did is point to Christ. The bride, groom, gets the bride. People had a problem with that. People have a problem with it today. People have a problem with the church of Jesus Christ being his. Pastors have problems. This is my church. It may be your chair. It may be your podium. maybe may be your microphone. But it ain't your people. You see. That may be your Bible. But everything that I have, God can take. Even you. nothing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Count other people more significant than yourselves. Do not look only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. See, a lot of times we hear in evangelical life, we hear in Christian circles, we've got to to die to ourselves, which is true. Husbands, love your wives. Jesus died in order to establish righteousness for his church. The marriage relationship is a picture of that. The church relationship is a picture of that. The church relationship with each other is eternally secure. The marriage relationship is like the shadows in the temple. It will pass away. It's impermanent. So here, we don't need to be told to never look after your interests. How good does that go? But... Are your interests, as a believer, not invested in the interest of others? Why? Why do we work? For the big house, for the big truck, for the big vacation, for the big pot of gold at the end of the rainbow? You ever lost 80% of your net worth? Rewind to February. That's what it looked like. Just like that. Why? The economy. Oh, just hold on. It's going back up. God's the God of money. He owns it all. He made the gold. (laughs) And he can destroy it. So why do we work? Why do we do what we do? For the sake of others. How can what we accomplish be used? 100% no. Nobody's ever asked of that. How can what we do, what we have, and what we are be used in the lives of others? Do we have privilege? Exercise it. Do we have authority? Use it. Do we have a voice? Speak. Do we have a dollar? Spend it. Do we have some food? Share it. Do we have some time? Give it. We got some talents? Put them on display. For the joy of God's people? It's not hard, is it? But yet we've built such an infrastructure. I mean, you know, when we were tearing this building apart, and many of you were helping, and we didn't have all the nice tools that it required to to do these things, and and I was on a double scaffold with a ratchet-strap 16- or 20-foot ladder, completely OSHA compliant, standing up there with a thing, and Brother Levi was down at the bottom, and we had the wheels on that thing. And he would push me as I sprayed. Yeah, that's what we did. We did a lot of work. Just went and did. And, 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 and what was it for? Just so we could have something nice to look at. We're thinking about how we invest in the lives of others. What is it that we can give... What is it that God's called us to? Where are our passions? Is it, just, is it just being in the seat? Is it just receiving? Or is it also giving? That's what it means to put other people's interests as just important, if not more important than your own. You've heard the stories of parents who suffer with addiction to the neglect of their children. I've counseled many of them. I've been advocates in courts where people have lost their children and never gotten them back. I've mentored people through years of trying to overcome these things. But at the moment when it mattered, the person or person's interest in being high or having certain things was more important and more powerful. It isn't that they didn't love their children, but at that moment, it had more power in their lives than the necessity and the obligation of taking care of their family. And so the courts took away their children. See, we can become that self-centered and not even know it. The body of Christ is going to always be in a flux of levels of self-centeredness why because merry christmas we're all human and if you don't think i'm self-centered just come to my house and hang out with me for a little while i can be extremely selfish but at the end what does the spirit of god do And we don't fall on the ground and mire and roll and cry in our snot and guilt and depravity. We stand up bold, as I prayed in the beginning, because Christ is risen. He's standing. So we stand with Him. We've been raised to the newness of life. We are alive because Christ stands. Because He's alive. So all the instruction of the saints and all the promises of God in Christ are manifested in, I believe, this short paragraph, all of it. And I don't have time to go through it all because this needs to be a succinct message. This this is a practical instruction, but you get the point. The point is there. Now let me opine some more. As God's people, we are to be like Christ in the giving of our lives for the sake of others, not in the receiving from others. Now see, that's tough, isn't it? Why do I have to give? Why do I have to serve? Why do I have to give up? Why do I have to readjust my life for other people? Because that's what Christ's example teaches us and that's what Christ instructs us, you see? But it's not does that make you feel good? Is anyone sitting here today going, I swear, I, I was a little depressed when I got here today and this is making me so happy. No, it's not. Because it's not the gospel, is it? Because see, we've already heard the gospel and we've packed it up and put it neatly in our shirt. I have a shirt pocket. I put it neatly in our pocket and we've already put it away. Now we're pressing upon ourselves this undue burden of being servants. Aren't we? And now some of us are going, I'm just such a horrible person. I keep pressing myself and undue guilt. Now you're guilty about feeling guilty, about pressing yourself, being guilty, and you're self-condemned. Stop! It is good news always, every day, 24 hours of the day, seven days of the week, and 365 and one-fourth days of every year. Good news. Not good news if, or good news only, Or good news, maybe, it is. Christ has done it. He is the perfection. He is the picture. And in my best of days, I'm still worthy of all of His wrath. But no more shall I fear it, for He has risen Himself for me. And now I stand, and now you stand. And I'm going to say something right now in this next sound bite that might really bite me. But for the first time in my life, I understand from a gospel position why the, the, the happy-go, never-talk-about-sin pastors are so popular in America. About how a guy like Osteen could have you know, 60,000 people a week sitting in an audience listening to that psychobabble. Because people are sick and tired of being chained to the floor and set on fire. People are sick and tired of people coming into the life of the body of Christ and telling everybody what's wrong with everybody else but themselves. And then humble bragging and going, oh, by the grace of God only. I'm not like that. The example of that for that type of person is death and condemnation. You see what I'm saying? Jesus didn't accolade those, but that's the historical record. Those are the wagon wheels of the trajectory of the, of the church of Jesus Christ, supposedly, quote, 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 of America. Starting with the boats over here, the westward expansion, the Puritanism. We the people. Freedom of religion or none at all, if we so choose. But yet there's always going to be a group of Pharisees who try to reform theologically the people of a culture. And they're always going to try to establish their own righteousness through some type of behavior modification. And the best way to modify people's behavior is to offer them some type of extremely awesome benefit or an extremely harsh consequence. God's people are to be a giving people, not a receiving people. So when I say that, I am not doing what you are feeling. Don't be guilty. You didn't know where I was going with that, did you? Merry Christmas, I unpacked it. But the second point is, as God's people, when we give, we actually receive. How? If I give you these keys, how do I receive my keys? You might not receive my keys, but I might receive your keys. If I use my key to open a door for you, someone else in this congregation will use their key to open a door for me. And what I need may be different than what you need, but I have what you need, you don't have what I need, but somebody else may have what I need. You see what I'm saying? So if everyone is looking after the self-interest of others, then everyone is receiving their interests. Could have had a V8. Could have just got the gospel right to start with. We receive as others give to us. And not just the things that we need. Not just the counsel. Not just the prayer. See, most of us are even thinking about money right now anyway, aren't we? Or, oh crap, he's about to start a committee. He's going to ask me to serve on it. Now, I only do that for civil stuff ain't no committees in Grace Truth Church. We're all one big fat committee. (laughs) No matter how big we get. Maybe you need to help teach. Maybe you need to help train. Maybe you need to walk in suffering with some people. Maybe you need to meet some needs. Maybe you need to help mature others. Maybe you need to help remind each other or stir each other or love each other or whatever it might be. There's a lot of things that need to be given here as a people to each other. Because if we're honest, we can all sit here right now and go, well, I've only, uh, only that guy and that girl, that person, and this person, that family, or this family, they're the only ones that I've ever really received anything from. Never got anything from James. Never really got anything from Bob. We don't have a Bob, that's why I use that name so much. When we get a Bob, we're going to have to change stuff. Just make up a color, chartreuse. But how self-centered is that, to have received all the blessings that are required and provided and then be upset that they didn't come from the right person? (laughs) So I get that a lot as pastor. believe it or not, my life in certain seasons is upside down in shambles. It is not controlled chaos. It is chaos. And the control panel is somewhere in the midst of the rubble. And it's disconnected, so I'm trying to find the wires, you see. As God's people, we have instructions and commands. Things that are wise and things that are required. So what are those things that are wise and required? Well, they ins- they're insisted upon and there's a lot, but for the sake of simplicity, let's go through a few. First, being with the body. Trey talked about it last week and the week before. We've been talking about it for years. Being with the body. Not on Facebook, not in a Bible study, not in a sewing group, not in a hunting club, not in a men's breakfast. Not through the live stream, being with the body and flesh, face to face. Why? Because that's what God has said is required for Him to exercise and infiltrate our lives with His grace. Listen to last week's sermon. If we aren't here, we can expect to receive nothing. Do not forsake. Do not neglect. But see what happens. What happens when the pastor says stuff like that? Everything I've just done. I can go through that whole spiel again. What happens is, oh now I'm feeling guilty. Don't feel guilty, just do it. I've never felt guilty for missing a meal. Just make it up on the backside. You know you know what those are like. Hadn't eaten all day, and you go to bed, and you just eat a piece of toast, and you go, like, gosh, I don't have time to eat. I, don't I eat at 11 o'clock, I'm just going to go to bed. And you wake up the next morning, and you've got half your pillow down your mouth. You make it up. You just pick it up the next day. Or for those of you who like to go to the gym, I man, I worked out all week, I just, I quit. I mean, when we're kids, we don't want to be told what to do. Much less when we're adults, being told what to do however when someone and more and more specifically when the elders of the church say beloved this is what we're going to do let me give an example we're not going to allow i know that word is hard isn't it we're not going to allow and that might not be the best way to say it, but this is how i think we're not going to allow our church members to fight on facebook anymore about anything politics or polyester. I don't care what it is. We're not going to fuss over it. And if I see it again, I'm coming to talk to you about it. Now, what's the consequence? Decapitation, of course. (laughs) It's the only way to stop. We could do the hands, but Siri really can pick up about 80% of the correct voice. Tongue out, maybe? I don't know. What's the consequence? No consequence, because a well-minded, well-reasoned, logical child of God who loves the Lord and His people, when they're told what you're doing online is destroying the faith of some, they'll go, I am so sorry. And if they don't, you'll warn them again. If they don't, you excommunicate them from your life. So that they'll come back and go, I love you so much. Don't let this come between us. I'll stop. What business is it of yours that about my Facebook, it's not my business. You, say, you do what you want to online uh, to the glory of God, but when it starts to affect the lives of the people around you that you say you love and you're not wise enough to see it, and sometimes somebody has to come in and say, put it down. I'm asking you to put it down. You've sinned against me. You see? Teachable, patient. How long do we give the guy? Twelve seconds. That's a perfect number. 144,000 seconds. Seven seconds. Ten seconds. Eight seconds. Is he riding a bull? I don't know. I mean, how long does it take? 490 times? Seven times 70? I mean, have you ever had to forgive anybody 490 times? If you're married, you have. If you have children, of course. But if you really counted it up, you're probably in the same number. Being forgiven. We're to be patient. A church member must be patient and teachable. They must bear with one another. We have to bear. It's not an option. We have to bear with one another. I don't really like Bob. That's why he doesn't come. He's never been because nobody likes him. No, I don't like Bob. But you can love Bob and not like Bob. And you don't have to smile through the grit. You don't have to pretend you do have to put on a happy face. Stop telling people to smile, folks. That's not the answer to the question. Just tell a joke. See if they smile. Have some humor. That'll make people smile. Be smileable. Look ridiculous. They'll laugh at you. Whatever it takes. But we can't just tell people to smile. Just be happy. Just be happy. Don't worry about it. Just stop thinking that way. It doesn't work. You know what? I love you in the midst of your scowl, in the midst of your frustration, in the midst of your cantankerousness, and that's what I love about you. You're so unique. You're just a big frowny turd. You see? And Bob's going, that's funny. Appreciate that. Brother, that's encouragement to me. I'm a big frowny turd. Hats and t shirts for sale after the service. That'd be our new mascot. The command and the things that are wise and required is that the member of the church supports the church in its ministry with money and with service. Why money? Well, this stuff ain't free. Our gathering place isn't free. Electricity's not free. Your pastor doesn't have another job he can go do. I tried doesn't work like that but finally i think the biggest thing that i want us to see as we sit here this morning of having one mind is that we're worshipers together because i think if we're worshiping and this is a whole nother sermon so get ready if we're worshiping what are we doing every name God exalted Christ for His humility. God exalted Christ for His sacrifice. God exalted Christ for His giving. God exalted Christ because He took on the form of humanity and sat in the place of His people to save them from the wrath of righteousness. You ever heard it like that before? Wrath of righteousness? Because that's what it is. Righteous wrath is righteous. God's anger is righteous. My anger is often not And I may be upset about something biblically, but it's not a righteous thing. It's usually sinful. If I'm expressing anything that causes animosity between me and even my enemy, it's a sinful anger. (laughs) If I'm causing strife in the name of truth, and it causes any type of friction between me and a relationship of a complete stranger, it's sinful. And we're going to learn how that looks, Lord willing, in the years to come. But we need to be prepared. What does it mean to be a worshiper? Being prepared to hear the Word. Putting aside the Lord's Day for at least 90 minutes so that we can come in and prepare to hear the Word and then being in the Word as much as we can through the week ahead. What do I read? Let me tell you something. Until you've memorized it, just read John's Gospel every day. And when you get to the end, start back over. If it takes you six weeks to read through it, then start over every six weeks. Just read John's Gospel until you can just about quote it. And then when you get that under your belt, then go to Ephesians. Yeah, then Romans, third. Because if you don't know what it means to be the church, if you don't know the Gospel, and you don't know what it means to be the church, don't get into the theological weeds of Romans, but that would be a good third. Stay away from Revelation. Just go read my 37. Just go listen to my 37 weeks in the hogwash on that. Settle your mind that God's got it. And it doesn't matter. And he's not talking to us anyway. About anything in particular. But that history that has unfolded. But We're worshipers. We're prepared to worship by hearing the word. And then by doing so. We're worshipers by learning. And then learning to do you realize that as the church we're learning to do if we learn a doctrine that means teaching if we're learning some teaching about a particular subject like prayer that means we're going to do prayer if we're learning a particular subject about justification that means we're going to do justification how do you do justification you live out as a as if you are not a sinner before the lord (laughs) as you relate to one another If you're justified by grace, the work of God, and His mercy and love for you, then by golly, you and I can treat each other accordingly. See, there's always an application, practically, in the lives of the people. If we're learning about propitiation and the wrath of God is satisfied, then, oh my goodness, Jesus had a lot to say about this, didn't He? Then we are going to be a forgiving people. We are not going to hold anything over each other's heads. We're going to be the walking example of 1 Corinthians 13. Not the simple part, the other. We're going to prepare to take of the means of grace. We're going to take the Lord's table. We're going to participate in baptism. We're going to pray. We're going to learn. We're going to be here. Listen to last week's sermon, please. I don't want to reiterate it. And as we're here, we're going to do all the things required of us. We're going to have a vision as a church, as a family with one purpose. We're going to have direction of places where... Places we're trying to go, things we're trying to accomplish, according to that vision, which is according to the Scripture. We're going to have ideas on how we're going to reach out to our community and be involved in our community and be a community, and how we can serve others. We're going to understand the role and the position and the servant service requirement of the pastors, elders, and the elders and deacons, and the church. We're going to understand what it means to do the work of an evangelist, to be able to teach and admonish each other and encourage each other. We're going to do it. We're going to learn to do, not just sit and hear, but do. See, that's the conflict with people who can't read, always have with the book of James and the book of Romans where they think that James is conflicted with Paul and Paul is contradictory to James, but there's a context in which James pastorally is saying, get up off your butts and be the household of God. You see? Paul is saying, this is how you are the household of God. Jesus would even do the same thing with his disciples. And beloved, I'm going to tell you, we are not in any place. If Paul were to write a letter to us, and I may be saying this because I'm jaded, but if Paul were to write a letter to us, I think it would be more like Philippians. I think it would be more like Thessalonica. I don't think we'd be Corinth. We certainly wouldn't be a church in the region of Galatia. We're not, we're not inundated and overcome by all this nonsense and false teaching. We put quick work to that stuff. I think it would be a letter of endearment. A letter that says, Grace Truth Church, remember the love of God for you. And continue to love each other as you're doing, even more so. And you've gone through a lot, and you've had a lot of things, but the Father has sustained you. And brought you together for this very purpose that you may give glory to God in your lives together. So that, that's where we are today, beloved. We're not guilty. We're free. And so in that freedom, we can rejoice and worship. And we can be the people that God has called us to be. By His grace. And for His glory. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for your patience. God with me and everything that is in my head and in my heart. Just nonsense. So if I feel the pressures this way, I know that the rest of us are feeling similar things. Though they all may be different, they have the same result as we are downtrodden and often angry or frustrated or fearful or whatever it may be that suits our nature and character. But in it all, it's that we're not trusting in You. And Lord, that in and of itself is not a reason and a season for guilt, but is an opportunity for thankfulness, Lord. We don't have to have great faith. We don't have to know that Your promises are not tied to our resolve. But Father, the simple things about being in the body, Lord, if we would just be together... And not try to be occupied with other obligations on the Lord's Day. If we would just be together, we would grow. That you would hold the elders of this church very tightly to the written word. That we would see and know and understand the needs of our congregation. And that we would teach accordingly. And that we would then lead by example by doing. Not whining about who aren't doing, but celebrate those who are. So that the rest of us would see the ones serving and follow suit. Lord, help that be the footprints of Grace Truth Church. And as we take the Lord's table today, as we meet and fellowship, as we talk about the next chapter and some of the needs that we desperately have, Lord, I pray that they would all be seen and heard for your purpose and that anything that needed to be removed that I would just forget about. And we thank you in all these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.